Rangers and residents of the Dome City of Corinth, Armenia, welcome to the Sentai Truther Club. I am your host, Grav, and with me is my favorite NB, Kennedy. Hey. Hi. How are you doing today? You know, I'm kind of excited to talk about RPM. <laughs> so I'm good. So... We watched the finale two days ago, right? Something like that, yeah. Two, three days ago, recently, very recently. All right, so, so we've given it enough time to process and correlate how it translates to our final scores. And I'm going to say, like, what a season this is that we have to sort of judge it more as like a sci-fi show than as a Power Rangers show. Because I think for the most part, the Power Rangers stuff, I wouldn't say it sucked, but it definitely wasn't the focus of the show. I came around on it as it went. At first, like, if y'all remember in our entry episode with uh, Leslie Lee, uh, we talked about, like, this almost feels like it would have been better if it wasn't the Power Rangers. That's definitely how I felt at first watching this, is I was like, this almost feels like it shouldn't be the Power Rangers. But after a while, I kind of got into the way that they were using some of the Ranger stuff and combining it. And I was like, you know what? This is fun that it's the Power Rangers. And in fact, one of the great things about the Power Rangers is this ability to be referential to other action franchises, other sci-fi franchises, etc. And make it their own for a season. And when they've done that really well, it's, it's been some of the best seasons right like in space they said we're gonna take star trek we're gonna make it our own and there were times at first and in space when it felt like is this power rangers <laughs> like, but when it all worked it worked really well and i think that's what started to happen for me here and i think probably the best uh, episode to exemplify that would be ghosts now that's getting way ahead of ourselves but we'll get there in a minute and get into more of like why Around that arc, they managed to kind of combine stuff together better, I thought. Yeah. So jumping right after the intro, we've got basically Ranger-specific episodes that are titled after the Ranger color, right? So it's like Ranger Green, or sorry, not Ranger Green. There's Because uh, we've already essentially had Ranger Black and Green to a certain extent at this point. But, you know, it's mm -hmm. Ranger Red, Ranger Yellow, Ranger Blue, Dr. K. And... uh a lot of these episodes center around the day that Vengex, like, took control and started killing people. Yeah. And that's scary as fuck. Like, legitimately, they make it scary. Yeah. Because, um, like, I, I think Red Ranger episode was more or less, like, Red Ranger dealing with the fact of the loss of his brother on that on that mission that day when they basically had to announce that hey human the rest of humanity that is currently survived make it to this city or you're fucked right yeah. like that that's literally it like we shut the gates at x hundred hours it's over right we can't guarantee yeah. your safety after that right once the dome the protective dome goes up um they can't just take it down that easily which is a very commonly repeated theme throughout the season that like every time that they do have to make the choice to willingly let the shield down it's a huge gamble yeah 
And Red Ranger was basically fighting on the front lines along with his sort of, I guess, Air Force brother. And well, they were both Air Force. Right. They're his both brother sort was of... the, the commander, you know, like he was like the older brother that you look up to and is like kind of perfect. And like yeah. he was leading the squadron. Yeah, and that was pretty much the day his brother died. Yeah. And he had to try and make it back to the Dome City before shutdown. And they don't pull that punch. Yeah, they I don't. always thought I always thought uh, they might towards the end like find his brother out there in the wasteland. They never did. Scott no. just lost his brother that day, that first day uh, of closing the dome. That's so like heavy, and they don't shy away from the heaviness of it. Yeah, this I think is when the show really started to increase in quality for me. Was yeah, Ranger I would say- Red? Before the Ranger-specific episodes, there's a couple of episodes after the intro. There's the episode where the Green Ranger gets his powers and some stuff like that. And all of those are basically, like, sevens. Handshake, obviously, we talked about in the best and worst. That's, like, a five, maybe a six. I think um, the, the main important episode is that Ziggy episode. And I think the reason why is because that was the first instance of Ziggy just being horny. <laughs> like, absolutely down catastrophically. For Dr. K. Yeah. It, it actually like made Ziggy's <laughs> character worse. It, it was almost like a, a Shane from, from uh, Ninja Storm type problem. Where like it was kind of hard for Ziggy to bounce back for me. Yeah, the, the episode where he gets his powers not so great. Um, The episode that's Ranger specific. I do like Ziggy's Ranger specific episode. But even it had its stumblings. It's not like a 10. It's not even like a 9. It's probably like a 7 again. Or an 8. But it's, it was solid, and all of these Ranger-specific episodes really helped to build up the Rangers and the lore of the season effectively, which is what made it such a great arc. Because, yes, we need to get to know these Rangers better and care about them more, and all of that's important, and they do a really good job with that, but they also keep tying it back to, how did things get to be this way? How did this computer virus take over the world? How did these folks end up in the Dome? How did these folks end up being Power Rangers? Like, all of these questions kind of get roped together and answered to some extent. And then the questions that don't get fully answered are left open in an interesting way for you to want to watch the rest of the season. So it's just like a really good arc of episodes. Yeah, so to basically go over this sort of arc, Ranger Red and Ranger Yellow were more personal stories. Whereas Ranger Blue and Dr. K were more like going over the mythos. It was still very much personal with Ranger Blue, but even that like 30% of the screen time was like dedicated to like, how did all of this world come together? Yeah. And Ranger Green, that episode uh, spent a lot of time establishing like, what was it like in the dome in the early days of the dome? Because as we know from the intro, they close the dome and then a year passes before Dylan makes it to the dome. Ziggy's life in those early days of the dome also helps to paint a picture of like, how did things get to be like this? Yeah, Ranger Yellow, I think, is, is really going to be the only time we're going to mention Summer in a significant amount of light that is not reduced down to her relationship with Dylan. She doesn't uh, get a lot of love after this, and it's really unfortunate. This two-parter for her is actually pretty good. Like, very experimental like with the fact that this was eight. a two-parter, though. 
Yeah. Right? Because the rest of them were one-parters for the most part. You could count Dylan as, like, maybe three, the way the intro went, right? But, sure. <laughs> but uh, for Ranger Yellow, this was a specific two-parter, and it was mainly a two-parter to not completely pu pull it straight on its uh, anti-capitalist themes, right? Yeah, and also I think... Like do it on story. It made unfazed. sense to have a. It made sense to have a cliffhanger, because her story, unlike all the others, related directly to the present. Um, everybody else, it was like mostly about the past, and then it was like a little bit of well, how does the past relate to my present self? Um, but her story was her parents want her to get married now, today, in the present, not in the past, but today. And uh, her parents are from money, and they want to maintain their money by having her marry a rich boy because they're losing their money. Um, and uh, they want her to get married, like I said, in the present, where she's a ranger, and she's not into any of their shit anymore. And that's really interesting, and I think that suits the two-parter well, because it's like you have this active in-the-present drama that you can leave on a cliffhanger. It's really good. I liked part one a lot more than I liked part two, unfortunately. Even part two was good, though. Like, uh, I think it's Flynn is the one who notices Tanaya, and he's like, a caterer would never put a cake by a trash can. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was one of the best lines in the whole season. <laughs> um, and also, that line, though, I want to emphasize it even more to point out that, like, the Rangers are kind of smart this season in a way that we haven't seen before. Like, these Rangers are not dumbasses that fall for every trick. They feel like they're actual human beings versus, like, scripted characters. Yeah. Um, like, you can meet like, someone like Flynn on the street, right? Yeah, definitely. All, all of them felt pretty believable. Even Summer, who we get to see the least of, in her best moments, felt like a pretty believable person. Um, she feels like like her character feels like it was written to be like a Floridian. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I really loved her whole thing of that with the butler. He never tells her his, his name. Yeah, it's it's really the like themes of that are fascinating. Like the butler wants her to become a good person, but he's also like, I don't really I'm never really going to trust myself with you. I thought it was just because it's that sort of like old timey slavery type shit where like butlers just never get called by their names and therefore they have no names type shit. Cause that's, that was the, that was the type of like fuck you rich that they were. Oh, for sure. The vibe I got though, when she asks him his name and he doesn't tell her, cause he immediately, he's like, ah, let's, let's get you on to safety summer and just like changes the subject. Like, my vibe is, like, he's just, like, his life is, like, already over, and he's just, like, accepted it to some extent. And he's, like, listen, I may be following through with this last task of trying to save you partially because it's my job and partially for my own reasons, but I don't really trust you. You're not my friend. Yeah. And I thought that was fascinating. And it's, like, that sticks with Summer. Those experiences with the butler trying to escape to Corinth together changes her so much. It's really powerful stuff. Yeah, 
And it's only overshadowed by, like, Flynn and Dr. K having such even wildly more powerful stories that, like, you just kind of move on. <laughs> yeah. I still don't think that the wrap-up conclusion to everything was, like, that fun to watch. It felt very... It was one of those times where, like, it was just camp, you know, with the whole wedding thing, you know. Uh... Some parts of it were too goofy. Yeah. Yeah. Some parts of you got a little too silly in certain scenes. And it didn't... It didn't fit well because, like I say, you have this emotional storyline with the butler dying out in the wastelet. Scott takes no shit from her family, like her from Summer's parents. Mm-hmm. Because he was like, because they they were like, "Yo, I'm like I'm rich. Don't fuck with me." And he's like, "I can fuck with you if I want to. I'm a fucking Power Ranger." Yes, I think one of the wokest scenes in that two parter is when Scott grabs the freaking Karen billionaire by the arm and like twists it behind her back and starts forcing her out of the building. <laughs> yeah. Like, holy shit. Um, there's definitely just, just, just a black guy grabbing a canonical billionaire and shoving her out of a building is just a powerful image <laughs> right there. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, this is the most affection that someone has given Summer, like, directly, more so than uh, Dylan has. Would it made more sense for her to get together with Scott on every level? Every single level. Every level. But yeah, oh, I'll finish my thought from before and just say, these rangers are really smart. That's going to be a theme that comes up over and over. Um, it's not like in previous seasons where it's like, Hey guys, I know Rita Repulsa gives us cursed magic items all the time, but look at this cool amulet I found. <laughs> and you're just like, dude. Hey no. guys, my brain feels a little woozy today. Hmm, I don't know. We sure do get mind controlled a lot. Hey I guess guys, it's fine. All of you seem to be acting really unusually mean to me, but I'm just going to assume that actually you hate me, not that you're being mind controlled. <laughs> Billy, you seem to be acting more like a Nazi today. <laughs> What's going on here? Uh, so, these uh, rangers aren't like that. And it also makes the villains cooler because a lot of Tanaya's tricks are actually pretty high level like mind games in order to work on these people. Like Yeah. She gets way more in their heads and like really fucks with them. For someone who, like, most of the dialogue sucks, <laughs> yeah, she is almost as bad as Vampira with a lot of her line delivery. Yeah, it's not amazing. Um, and to be fair, though, she has to, like, basically do the same scene over and over again. This is how every scene with Tanaya goes, right? All right. She, sh she shows up to the spot, right? It might be with a new monster. It might just be her with some minions, maybe. We don't know. But she shows up into the scene. She's like, let's fucking fight. Let's go at it, right? She'll fucking take on one of them or two of them at the same time while her henchmen go and, and try and, you know, fuck around with everyone else. And then she has this, like, I don't know. It almost feels like dialogue from like Halle Berry's Catwoman <laughs> or something. It's like it is kind of like Marvel movie villain. 
But like, I, I am the I am the one who has come to destroy everything. I am the pinnacle of life and death and everything that has come before and after it. Like just like what the fuck are you saying right now? <laughs> yeah. But but because it's Power Rangers, it's written like Halle Berry's cat. <laughs> so I don't know. I it's think the character at the level of the shit that I just riffed, really. Like it's not better than that. It can get really campy sometimes to the point where it sort of U-turns and it's fun. But a lot of the times it's just like, okay, at best, maybe? I, I, agree, with, uh, I agree with you on that. Sometimes it kind of makes this U-turn and it's kind of fun. I'm struggling to think of what episode in particular, but there's one episode where like she's trying to do one of her big riffs and Ziggy shuts it down in this funny way. And like... That was, like, a scene where it worked for both of their characters, you know? Like, not only did it make Ziggy look cool, but it also was, like, it kind of added some much-needed levity to the way that she acts. I don't know. Yeah, the dialogue for her is still, like, even by the end, it's still so goofy. It's weird. They, they <laughs> don't know how to write her at all. She I think could have what's been unfortunate really about good. it... Oh, oh, I didn't even get to, like, the best part about it. Also, simultaneously, the worst part about it. <laughs> Probably, actually, the latter. But, like, every time she gets defeated, and when she gets defeated, she gets really frustrated, and she leaves frustrated. And she gets, like, this shot that's always showing off her costume as she leaves the scene. Oh, yeah, it, it's, it's every time. camera angles. Yeah. It's you see like a lot that. of Naya's butt. Let's just say it. Let's just be honest about it. Because it, I, I don't want to dance around it because it's blatant. Yeah. <laughs> it's that same, but it's the same formula for her scenes every time. And it's mm -hmm. like, how much can you do that type of scene before, like, it just all collapses in on itself, right? I yeah. think later on in the season, it gets better. Uh, which we'll go over, but I think till now, even after Dr. K, which her appearance in the Dr. K episode especially was pretty good. It wasn't bad. Yeah, um, when, she, when she's being like a serial killer villain and shit, like that's kind of hype. Yeah, it is. And uh, she she U-turns on it later to where it's just like, oh, she like really hones in on it, you know, and she starts mm -hmm. getting crafty as the as the season goes on. But the the line delivery, it, it's like a it's like a coin flip. It's like it's a really fucking coin flip. Episodes and yeah, it's you just don't know. It's gonna be cool or is it gonna be awful? Yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry, but I just I had to talk about that because she she is like a really like main character all throughout the season since yeah. her introduction to the she very gets, end of the show. She gets a lot of screen time and a lot of development. And some of it's actually pretty good, but because there's so much of it, you really want a lot of it to hold up. And especially early on, some of it is like, woo, a little bit rough. <laughs> yeah. Um, so after the uh, arc of the various Ranger episodes, um, the next arc is mostly about Dylan and Gem and Gemma. And also a little bit about Vengex, but I'll get to that in a second. Let's just talk about Dylan and Gem and Gemma for a second first. So Dylan has uh, 
actually a pretty amazing episode right after Dr. K, but at, right after Dr. K, you're so emotionally worn out that it's hard to even feel it. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I remember it. this episode not being bad, but I remember just going, yeah, but like Dr. K was literally the episode before this. Yeah. Um, like, how do you follow so, that up? Actually, I think might be a 10. Um, Blitz really gets into like Dylan's memory loss. And there's this one specific robot that took his memories and has them. And it's this, like, satellite robot. And... Ah, uh, I see. You're going to space as well. First of all... <laughs> the scenes early in this episode of, like, his hazy memories of the satellite robot, scary as hell. Actually very... Like the soundtrack was scary. Yeah. I, I was telling I was telling Kennedy in the in the DMs, I was like, a horror episode? What? It's been so long since like maybe Psycho Rangers, right? I think the last time we had an episode this scary, honestly, Lost Galaxy, the alien episode. The alien episode, that's right. We haven't had anything this scary since then. And that was so unusual that that ended up, like, almost redeeming the season a little bit for <laughs> us. Like, <laughs> and, and they're doing it again. Holy shit, it's another horror episode. What? And it's really good. So the beginning shots of, like, Dylan being, like, strapped to these tables and this, like, hazy robot is, like, shifting around in the darkness saying creepy shit and the soundtrack is scary. Fucking Pog, holy shit. And from there, like the episode continues to be pretty solid all the way through. Um, they're fighting back and forth with uh this bot, and uh also like there's some the sat bot, it's just its name, doesn't have a cool not name. Uh and also there's this back and forth like fighting between Dylan and Dr. K. That's really interesting because they're both kind of being unreasonable, which is like a good dynamic for something like that. You know, Dylan is like being a little too reckless about the fact that he kind of wants to try to save his memories. Dr. K is being a little too cold about, like, just being, like, basically, like, just kill Dylan if you have to. <laughs> it gets pretty wild. But finally, Dylan is just like, hey, fuck it, and, like, helps the Rangers destroy the sat bot. And at the end, there's this really, actually, incredibly touching scene where... They're like, Dylan, don't worry. We'll help you find the answer someday. And Dylan just looks at the other rangers. He goes, you guys are the answer. It like, was a lie. <laughs> it was kind of a lie, but it was... There's a couple of scenes like that where when Dylan gets disappointed by this stuff, rather than like become like even more brooding and just getting upset, he instead chooses to turn outward and like love his team more. And I, that's actually like a really cool dynamic that we haven't really seen. Yeah. I agree. It was a 10 out of 10 episode. I remember as you were talking about it, I was like, yeah, I remember that was like a true banger. And I was like, wow. It got me thinking about how like the music director for the season basically just watches the episode and like will evolve the music so transformatively as the episode mm -hmm. goes on and adapts to yeah, what's happening what on screen on so well sure. that it boosted the episode where it would have probably ended up landing. I think yeah. the soundtrack really, really added to that that episode a lot. Uh, the incredible soundtrack and cinematography really helped this season in general to to stay consistently very watchable and enjoyable. Yeah, and very uh like hard rock too. 
Mm-hmm. Like the soundtrack is very hard rock. There is moments where they will veer away from that and be more like the Matrix sort of soundtrack or or maybe an orchestral score. But for the cool. most part, it's like you remember this hard rock from the times. And what's funny about it this works. is that the sound direction is amazing, even though the intro song basically sucks. <laughs> Yeah, I did warm up to it a little bit over time to where I'm like, it's not terrible, it's not the but worst. it's not good. But it's probably bottom five. Yeah, but I, it'd probably be like number five. Right. Power Rangers RPM. <laughs> <laughs> what could have been the next Dion Genesis Evangelion, unfortunately, <laughs> was marred by his intro theme song. <laughs> <laughs> After that, we start to get into... So Brothers Keeper st- starts to establish... Okay, so not only does Dylan have this memory thing and, like, these, these memories he can't remember and all this stuff, but also um, the Vengex robot, like, virus thing that's inside him is going to take him over eventually. And that becomes a big plot. And uh, that's overall a plot that's handled pretty well. They keep the stakes pretty high with it, um, and they only occasionally kind of give him a little bit of a reprieve, where sometimes they're like, oh, we found a little bit of a, something that will help suppress it, but they never find a cure until the very, very end. And, uh, you know, it's just this, like, always hanging over his head thing of, like, what's going to happen with this? And, like, these different suppression methods aren't really working. And it's like it's definitely evocative of like serious chronic illness, like how like you know like you have these different medications, but they don't always work right, and things just keep getting worse. And it was very interesting because like it was actually like kind of thoughtfully done in that regard. And also Dylan's own psychological response to it gets more and more interesting. He starts to have like nightmares about it and stuff. Like they really. They really actually played into this theme in a way that was fascinating. This like, arc should have ended. This whole sister arc. Oh, the sister should part. Should have. The I'm sister just talking part. about him being a robot. <laughs> okay, yeah, robot shit with the Vengex virus coursing through him. That's pretty cool. I like where we end up with that towards the end. But this whole sister shit, yo, this shit should have been done in these episodes. Or like, I'll tell you exactly where it should have wrapped up. It, it and, should have wrapped up at Three's yeah. a Crowd. Yeah. That, that episode where they had to introduce that Megazord, that's the latest it should have wrapped up. There's no reason why this whole Sisters Keeper shit lasts all the way to the end. No, I, or they should have just dropped it for a while. Because part of what's annoying is a lot of the episodes revolve around, like, Dylan wants to find his sister. But then it's like, but I don't even know why half the time he doesn't know it's her sister. Like, I'm like, bro, can't you put two and two together on this? It is unusual for a season where we just talked about a little bit ago that the Rangers are usually smart and figure shit out. Getting into that, actually. So embodied in ghosts are the introduction of two major new things, and one of which is Gem and Gemma. And that's a situation where Dr. K isn't like, what? It's Jim and Gemma when it's finally revealed? She starts to suspect immediately because the characters are generally smart about almost everything except Dylan's sister. <laughs> um, Jim and Gemma are really this, cool. They, yeah, this shit is pog. Jim and Gemma are amazing characters. They really help the show in a number of ways to come together. Um, they're ideal, like, 6th, 7th Rangers. 
in a lot of respects. And um, they are anarchists. They're definitely anarchists. <laughs> so I like them. But also, um, Dr. K's relationship to them is really important and helps develop her character a lot, too. And from the moment there's a hint that they might be alive, Dr. K starts to kind of like go through a lot and change and have a lot of emotional stuff that's really interesting happen to her. And so it really does a lot for the show when they pop in. I think and it's only Gemma... been a handful of episodes since those Ranger Eps. So it's like we had those amazing Ranger Eps, slightly slower arc that dips for a minute, and then, oh shit, Gemma and Gemma, oh my god, I'm pogging. <laughs> the Ranger outfits are awesome for them. So cool. Yeah, I really like the fact, I do think that they should have probably been introduced sooner, like, Honestly, it should have taken place right after Dr. K. Fuck Dylan. Fuck the Dylan sister shit. Right after <laughs> Dr. K episode, go right into gold and silver. Or like I said, I think just drop the Dylan shit for a minute. Like, let's have Blitz and Brothers Keeper where it's like Dylan's struggling with can he find his memories and also what's going to happen with this Vengex Robotics that's inside him. All of that shit is like weighing on him for two episodes. And then we move on and we don't think about it. The problem is these episodes that we're talking about right now, Embodied and Ghosts and the episodes that come directly after that, we're still talking about Dylan's sister a bunch. And it's just like, no, this other stuff that's going on is much cooler. <laughs> Gem and Gemma are much cooler. Uh, Vengex also. Um, so they fight this robot out in the wasteland that seems unbelievably strong and they're trying to figure out what the fuck's going on and then the robot just finally says it he's like you haven't figured it out yet i'm vengex i made myself a body get wrecked he summons a sword out of nowhere and it's like the coolest shit you've ever seen like <laughs> it was like ai algorithm shit <laughs> like he was able to manifest the power of like artificial intelligence he just like instantly 3D printed a sword out of his hand or something. I don't even know. It's cool as fuck. <laughs> yeah, it like, was cool as fuck. It does have implications for the show that'll ripple as the, as the end of the season approaches. But yeah, it is it is really cool. I like the fact that Vengex gave himself a a physical form too, and that they didn't wait too late. Yeah, I I thought this was like a really ideal time to introduce it, especially because right now the Rangers are still. At this point, all the way up through this point in the season, the Rangers are just barely surviving slash losing, which is really interesting. They don't have a plan to beat Vengex. And so when Vengex shows up in physical form like this, it really is that like, oh, Frieza's here. Not just his army, Frieza showed up. Oh, fuck. Like, that feeling <laughs> of like, yeah. we are really in unbelievable trouble. Um, and it also felt cool in a Dragon Ball Z kind of way, because it was like, it had that aspect of like, in Dragon Ball Z, whenever you meet a really cool person, they're just inevitably into martial arts, because in the Dragon Ball Z uh, multiverse, if you're really cool, you're into martial arts. Martial arts are the coolest thing that exists, right? Like, Vengex taking this form had that aspect to it, where it was just like, yeah, Vengex uh, wants to be a badass, so therefore he made himself a body that he could do wicked martial arts combat in because that's the coolest thing you could possibly do in the Power Rangers universe. <laughs> and I love it. I'm actually very here for that. <laughs> yeah, Embodied was a fantastic episode. Amazing episode. Um, only really let down by its slightly bizarre ending with like the helicopter fight that's very confusing. And it's just like... 
a lot of the camera work for that was like weirdly like hazy, like it's like a Vietnam War documentary or something. That that final that final fight scene between Jem and Gemma and Vengex's helicopter, not the coolest thing ever, but it's like thirty seconds out of a very pog overall episode. Uh, and then Ghosts immediately after that. This was another ten for me. Um, this is the episode where they properly kind of meet Gem and Gemma, and they also learn a lot more um, about uh, Doctor K. But we don't get the full kind of reveal totally yet. But there's like a lot of a lot of deep, heavy stuff in this episode, and it's really interesting. Um, yeah. And also, Vengex is a real badass in this episode. In particular, he has this one la- line where he's like, the wasteland is my domain. It's like Rex the Rangers. <laughs> and like, it's really cool. <laughs> the biggest thing to come out of these episodes outside of just like, hey, you know, Gem Gemma were also part of Alphabet Soup, is that Dr. K created Vengex because she wanted to leave, right? And we've, mm-hmm. we've talked about it in the... Uh, the best episode with Dr. K, but we also kind of go into like sort of the like she's still p- sort of processing her emotions about that, and she's had to grow sort of cold and cynical to be able to deal with that. Like, holy shit, I created the atomic bomb. Maybe I should go commit rope, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I, I. When we were talking about this behind the scenes, I was saying, like, to me, she's like Einstein, you know, where it's like you do all this, like, theorizing and you think it's like, eh, it's probably OK. It's mostly safe. I know there could be some applications. And then you look over to your right and like the some applications that you were just thinking about that aren't so good is immediately what's happening. And you're just like, oh, fuck, I should have I should have thought about this more. I'm surrounded by like insane bloodthirsty Warhawk CIA agents. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dr. K sort of lives with that, that sort of survivor's guilt. Yeah. Because Vengex hasn't killed her yet and she's not going to take her own life. So she's kind of having to deal with the fact that she's responsible for like 90, probably over 97% of the human population. And large sums of other wildlife that's out there uh, is, like, dead. Yeah. In, like, a completely inhospitable planet outside of this one dome city. In my own sort of, like, Shin Megami Tensei ass. (laughs) Like, this is, like, part of... uh, This is, like... It it almost feels like Nocturne. Like, it it seriously almost feels like a Nocturne plot. (laughs) Yeah. Anime to me in that, like... That's usually the only shows where I see them try to redeem someone that devastated, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, I don't know. Dude, I guess, like, Dexter. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I don't... How am I supposed to feel about Dr. K? You tell me, right? Like, yeah, we're supposed to be like, oh... You know, if it wasn't for her, more. there wouldn't be the the Power Rangers right now to help save our current circumstance. And I'm like, well, you know, you kind of created a solution to a problem that you yourself made. <laughs> yeah. And it just so happens that that problem that you made wiped out like almost the entirety of humanity. 
But we'll get more into that in a minute because this isn't the episode where it fully addresses that. Uh, uh, not but that it does have you kind of doing a double take at Dr. K. I say it's more so later. In this episode, it still felt kind of balanced-ish. Balanced-ish? What? In terms of like, not in terms of like her being a good person, but just in terms of like her responses and her like, I don't know, the way she was res- like behaving around a lot of this stuff still kind of made sense. It's later that it's like, mm, feels a little odd in particular. <laughs> um, also, like, I say it's like kind of balanced because like Colonel Truman doesn't know yet in this episode and stuff like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's, it's a later. big secret right now, yeah. you know, and it's kind of like, you know, listen, the Rangers kind of took it as like, this is a secret that I will hold to the grave. I'm not giving that secret up. It's not happening. Yeah, that's the vibe. And also like, like hiding Eddie, original sin type shit. Also, like there's an aspect of it that she was so abused by the government that she doesn't know who to trust with any information to. Like, yes. Legitimately, she does not know who to tell what, especially at the beginning. She slowly realizes that she can basically tell the Rangers anything. But and uh, those those people are her friends. But outside of that, like she doesn't know who to tell whatever. Um, yeah, and that's a that's a theme that is explored in some interesting ways. Yeah, this, I get that. Is... It, it makes sense as character development and like the way that the CIA treated her was just like unbelievable, unbelievable. So it was kind of like the CIA created this problem, right? However, like you 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 are the coder. <laughs> yeah, your fingerprints <laughs> were on the bomb. <laughs> like you have to take some responsibility for that you know like i believe I in socialism but weird. i also work at raytheon yeah i would also feel like <laughs> weird if, you know if like if like the person that dropped the atomic bomb on japan you know the pilots those pilots were like trying to redeem themselves i'd be like hmm, i don't know like you're not fully responsible but also like why'd you, you take that drove mission? the fuck you yeah. lifted why, the plane off that, that airstrip yeah like um, it's not like, oh, I went to a computer and then I pressed a button. Like, nah, homie, you like walked up those steps into that plane, got in gear, yeah, drove that bomb, bomb and or made the decision the to drop hatch. it, but you you still flew that plane there. Like, that's a lot. I don't know. Yeah, that's a lot of effort. <laughs> yeah. It's not like oh hey, I, I picked up a paper clip from the ground and that triggered <laughs> like it's not one of those types of things. It's like you you knowingly did this of your own accord. Yeah, it's pretty intense. Um, there's some other funny stuff in this episode, though. So let's move on from that for now, because we'll talk about it more uh, when we get to another even more <laughs> weird episode. But this one is actually Ghost is actually pretty good overall. Like I said, it was like a 10 for me. Gem and Gemma get their full reveal here and a lot of stuff. There's also some really funny things in this episode, though. In particular, this is incredible. They got the Go-Onger bus? Oh, yeah, they got the Go-Onger bus. (laughs) 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 Which is super fun. And they blow it up, and Scott's like, my dad's gonna kill us. (laughs) So (laughs) funny. What's funny, too, is Colonel Truman doesn't even bring it up. It's It's like, uh... it was all in Scott's head. Yeah, it's a... uh... (laughs) They had it was like a military acronym too. Like they had it all spelled out meaning <laughs> something. Um, there's all that. There's also um so there's this amazing scene where Doc 
Oscar K is trying to get Colonel Truman to divert more power to um, boost communication so that she can try to reach the Rangers. Um, because A, they're falling into a trap, and B, she thinks that they're encountering Gem and Gemma out there, and she wants to find out what the fuck's going on. So uh, she starts talking to Colonel Truman. She's like, you know I don't talk about Alphabet Soup very much, right? Because it sucked. And Colonel Truman's like, yeah, I get that impression. And she's like, yeah, so here's a story from Alphabet Soup. And she's like, this one time, they had me make this ultra diarrhea medicine that you couldn't smell or taste at all, but it would make you shit your entire body's weight out. Do you have any idea why someone would create that or what they would do with it? And then Colonel Truman's like, okay, we'll boost the signal. <laughs> Amazing scene. Great stuff. Great you stuff. You have to say, even if the character is questionable, the actress that plays Dr. K really nails it a lot. Yeah. Especially later on. At first, it's a little awkward, but like by this point, she's just like killing it with a lot of these performances. Yeah, she put she put some ivermectin in that cup. <laughs> <laughs> just amazing stuff. Um, and at the very end, uh, also another like kind of funny but also very touching scene is when they bring Jem and Gemma back to base, and uh, uh, the Rangers are kind of trying to explain that, you know, uh, uh, Doctor K, she can be a little cold at first, but uh, you know we really like you, so we're gonna vouch for you, and eventually she'll like you, and like. Then, like, they take their helmets off, and it's her old friends, Jem and Gemma. So Dr. K, like, runs over and, like, hugs them crying. And the rest of the Rangers are just like, what? <laughs> it was a great scene. <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, really just very solid episode. Um, and also, this is important because Jem and Gemma showing up does a few things. Like we've already mentioned, Dr. K starts to soften up. Um, after Gem and Gemma come around, she starts to use the ranger's name. Not Ziggy's, though. And she does some other things to kind of open up to the people around her a bit more. Because she realizes that she shouldn't be quite so cold. That it's not really benefiting her or the team. Also, um, Gem and Gemma have been fighting Vengex this whole time. Not, like, surviving, but, like, bombing Vengex facilities... You know, destroying Vengex hardware, doing anything they can to disrupt Vengex's war against humanity. And so when Gem and Gemma show up, they start to be like, hey, we take the fight to Vengex. We don't just sit around here. Fuck that. And that's cool. And it's cool not just because it's necessary for the plot and it's good, but also because it's a really good dynamic to have it come in this way. Gem and Gemma are like kind of right but also in some ways a bit too reckless and the rangers are like a little and the, and the government are a little too scared at first to kind of take those steps but Gem and Gemma are just like no this is the only way we have to fight they're very shoot first ask questions later they emphasize that a few times <laughs> you start to get that impression and at one point they say <laughs> uh, when they're getting in trouble with i think the colonel they say okay this time we'll shoot first and we won't ask questions and then they just run off <laughs> They like to make bombs and blow stuff up. <laughs> yeah, they like to make things go boom. It's another one of those, like, sort of carrying on that theme of, like, not having a childhood mm -hmm. and expressing that through the character. Yeah, and it plays well as, like, an alternative 
trauma from Alphabet Soup. Like, it, it, it feels like a realistic, like, yes, this is another different kind of response that you might have, especially if you were raised with your presumably twin. They don't actually specify, but you're raised with it's your twin. Pre- presumable twin. And so, like, you are trapped in this facility, but you do have one other person. And especially, like, it's never stated outright whether or not they are, like, psychically connected, but they certainly, like, finish each other's sentences a lot and stuff like that. And honestly, you could read it as, like, they, it is suggested that they were, like, robotically enhanced while they were at Alphabet Soup and some other stuff. And so you could read it as, like, they have some kind of, like, supernatural psychic connection. But also... Uh, I kind of thought of it as just, like, they probably would have learned ways to silently communicate in a facility like that because they can't say out loud what they're thinking all the time. And so they just kind of learn to read each other a lot to survive in that environment. Yeah. It's really fascinating. Like, it's really... They put some interesting stuff into it. That gets kind of cool. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I will say, like, some of these episodes, though, like, drag a bit around this, like, factory destruction arc. Um, they're going to destroy Avengix factory. So this is, like, the kind of stuff that Gem and Gemma helps them to understand is, like, you know, we know where some of these facilities are where Avengix produces stuff. Also, Avengix is using human slaves um, to do some of his work, which is, like... Very interesting, because it really seems like with that, the point is the cruelty. Like, Vengex didn't have, like... There was never, like, an explanation where it's like, ah, well, I need the humans in, like, that Matrix-style way, you know? Um, it was just, like... It just seemed like Vengex liked to uh, torture people. So that yeah. was interesting, that that's how they framed it. But the whole factory destruction arc, these episodes kind of drag a little bit, especially because there's a lot of, like, Dylan talking about his sister... I will say, though, this is the only moment that we actually get real romantic sparks between Dylan and Summer. And I don't understand why they would uh, take it this far and then just give up and never address it again until the very end. Like, what the fuck? That was one of the biggest stumbles here. (laughs) Yo, okay. So uh, they're about to blow up a factory. Dylan's like... Nah, don't blow it up. I need to find my sister. She's somewhere in here. He ends up finding this little, like, key thing that looks like the necklace that he has. So he Mm -hmm. picks it off the ground. He's not sure if uh, him and Summer are going to make it out of there before the factory blows up. They share a moment together where it's just silent. And I think there's, like, a little bit of music. There's a little bit of music. They're getting closer and closer together. There's, like, water pouring down over them. Like, it's like they're in the rain, basically. Like, it's like the spy- first Spider-Man kiss, almost, or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's it's just the vibe. Like, it's just, Silence. Like, okay. Looking at each other. You can see it. You can see the chemistry. You're like, oh, are they going to kiss? And then it gets interrupted, right? Because it's a kid's show, I guess, and I, I don't know. And I thought that was fine for the moment, but I really expected, okay, so in a couple of episodes... We're gonna get a kiss. They're gonna, like, go on a date or kiss or you something. You might as well, you might right? as well say goodbye to Summer until episode yeah, 32. You might, you might as well just say, bye, Summer. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll see you as the Yellow Ranger. It's almost like she's stuck in the suit. <laughs> yeah. 
And it, and I think she does get more like screen time in terms of like she does have a couple of episodes here and there where she shines, but ultimately she doesn't shine as hard as anyone else. Uh, and she's constantly underperforming, or her existence is revolving around Dylan. So pick which one you want. Yeah, Dylan does not reciprocate after this. The look that he shares with her, where you think something is about to happen. That's the most attention Summer ever got from Dylan the whole season. And yep. she rides that wave to the very end. To the very end. <laughs> Makes no fucking sense. And here I am going like, what about my man's Flynn? Like, what's Flynn doing? Because like Flynn stopped getting screen time too. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I made it sound like it was two episodes to get to this almost kiss. It's actually at the end of Belly of the Beast. I just want to emphasize how long episode. they drag on this factory shit. That final episode of it is good. Yeah, Belly of the Beast is really good. That was a contender, I think, well, for the best. Because that one, they're also like, the stakes get so high. Because they realize what Vengex is building at the factory. They thought he was just building like robots and shit. No, he's building a doomsday weapon that's going to destroy Corinth. And that... So the stakes fucking fly to the ceiling and, like, everything gets way crazy in that episode. I will say, though, I know you like to rag on Dr. K, so here's one for you. This was one of the episodes where I was like, Dr. K is, like, an, uh, an objectivist. She's, like, an Ayn Rand person. Because in this episode, like, they're getting ready to go into the factory for that final time. And uh, uh, Dr. K is like... What if you can't choose between the prisoners and destroying the doomsday weapon? What will you choose? And it's like, they should just be going right now. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, we'll just make that decision in the moment. Yeah, like, make that decision when you have to. Why are you holding up the start of the mission to talk about this? Like, it was like, it was clear that she wanted them to say, we'll destroy the doomsday weapon. The individual lives aren't important. And that's, she has that attitude multiple times in the season, and it's very... <laughs> Weird. <laughs> Bad. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> Belly of the Beast, I remember being really good. Um, but yeah, the lengths that he's going through, like, to find his sister and everything... The, the plot point drags on too long because then they go, oh, well, I purposefully left that memory there for you to go to this one for it because it's a trap. But then you meet Gemma and Gemma out in the wasteland and then suddenly they talk about this one facility. And then it turns out that facility is producing the doomsday weapon. And then also that same facility is where your sister was stored. Ah, right. Like that whole set of progression way too long. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. um, um, and, and some and, of the stuff that's going on is cool but not the Dylan and his sister for a plot point that was revealed most likely at episode 2 if not 1 most likely 2 though. it was very obvious from the beginning in my opinion and I do see because, this stuff coming more sometimes than like a lot of folks but I will still say like I feel like almost anyone would have seen that coming well, his name was like, I don't know, fucking J5 or something like that. And then she was like, Tanaya 6. And I'm like, hello? 
<laughs> Hello! It's pretty clear who your sister is. Especially if she's working for Vengex. Like, what the fuck? All for, all for him to find this little key thing that goes in his locket, right? When? Yeah. Wh what episode is that that we explore that in? Is that the next episode after Belly of the Beast? Or is that, or is it Three's a Crowd? Three's a Crowd is next. Three's a Crowd sucks ass. It's filler. The, the reason why it's not filler is because they learn how to combine all three Megazords at the end. But realistically, like, the character development that happens here for Gem and Gemma don't matter at all. Because they immediately just say, ah, we're just going to keep doing the same old shit. Sorry. We don't learn anything. Well, I would say... It's a little bit of that. They also like overlearn an episode, uh, a lesson that like seemed a little bit overwrought too. It was like realistically, like mostly they've been working with Gem and Gemma, okay, and Gem and Gemma are just sometimes a little too reckless. But then in this episode, they're like, Gem and Gemma are loose cannons. We can't control it all, and they really like take it all the way to that extreme. And it's just like you didn't have to do this episode at all. Which episode was it where he puts the fucking thing in his, like, locket? His pocket watch or whatever? I don't know. It's later. <laughs> is it later? How much later is it? Because I thought it was, like, right after Belly. Maybe it's right. I don't know. I can't remember now. They dragged that plot on so long. So, there's, so he gets the key from this factory. And he's like, I don't fucking know what to do. I don't fucking know what to do with this shit. What the fuck is this? What the fuck? fuck is this something that his sister wore and that he also wears and that he also wears turns out that that little key goes into a hole in his pocket watch or whatever that plays a tune that tanaya recognizes and i'm like Oh yeah, is this supposed, supposed to be a euphemism? This is the other reason what why. What the fuck? <laughs> I know, right? But also, this is the other Come reason on. why this was really obvious. I almost forgot about this, but Dylan's always humming the tune from the pocket watch. Tanaya hums that tune in like episode three or something. They just like give it away. Yeah. Next up is uh, Heroes Among Us. This was like also, I think, another ten. This is episode twenty, right? Yeah. So That's 20, 21, and 22 are all bangers. These are all Yeah, tens. these are all bangers. Um, in fact, this one was, like, maybe, like, almost even, like, 10 and a half. Like, slightly busting the scale territory. Like, really good shit. So, basically, like, the Rangers get in this fight. Um, and Jem uh, kind of recklessly saves the day. <laughs> Colonel Truman presents him with this really prestigious medal. Typical anarchist, huh? <laughs> um, Colonel Truman like presents him with this medal and is like, "This is like the highest honor we award. The city thanks you." And Jem is really hyped up, especially because, like, I mean, think about what his life has been like, you know. So, when has he ever gotten like significant praise, you know, in his past or something like that? Probably not a lot. So he's really hyped, and he's like, "Dang, this is cool." But Scott's kind of upset, and they actually do a really good job of, like, balancing the fact that Scott should be allowed to be upset about the way his father treats him, but also Jem should be allowed to have a good time and, like, enjoy this victory for himself. Which I thought was, like, a cool... Because, like, a lot of times, 
in like older Power Rangers, it would have been like everyone just stops to be like, oh, Scott, you're upset with your dad. Oh, no. And like forgets that Jem is also like here, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but instead they're like, oh, dang, Scott, that sucks. We, we really got to help Scott out. But also we got to take Jem out for celebration lunch. Like we have to do these things, you know, we can't just brush off the fact that Jem deserves to have a good day. And I thought that was like really unusually good writing for the Power Rangers. The fact that they were able to like juggle that stuff effectively. Um, but of course, what happens when Scott's all alone? He gets in his car and he drives out to the wasteland to fucking make trouble. <laughs> it's fun, uh, honestly. Like, He's just, like, out there, like, doing donuts around, like, old barrels and shit and, like, knocking things over with his car and just, like, being a hooligan out in the wasteland. And it's, like, a really good scene. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, he's really upset. This kind of starts to get complicated, though, because, first of all, Jem comes to find him because Scott goes on, like, like an angry, drunk driver type shit. It's like a, it's like a, in the 80s movie when the guy's like pounding beers and cigarettes and punch dancing. Yeah. And like, <laughs> he's just like, fucking fine. I'll go fuck, I'll go fucking, I'll go fucking kick Vengeance's ass myself. And, and like, literally rolls up to like Vengeance's military base and is like, let's fucking go. <laughs> Yeah, he's like throwing bottles at whatever robots he can find and screaming and drunk. <laughs> <laughs> it's Pog, though. Um, yes. But then uh, Jem, Jem comes to find him. And this is cool because Jemma uh, gets a, a really good episode, but also like this is like Jem's kind of like special moment to shine and it really works for him. Um, so Jem comes to find him and Jem's like, hey, uh, listen. Uh, well, first Scott's like, how'd you find me? And Jim's like, well, I followed your tire tracks. <laughs> <laughs> Scott's like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, you do realize I have a helicopter, right? Yeah. And uh, Jim's like, uh, and Scott's like, listen, I'm just out here being angry. I shouldn't have done this. I, I'm, I'm fucking up. And just admits it. Um, and Jim's like, hey, I'm not always so good at sticking to a plan or working with the team. So I get it, homie. <laughs> And like, Jem even tries to like throw his medal away, and he's like, "Listen, if this is gonna upset you, I don't even want it anymore." And Scott's like, "No, dude, you deserve the medal," and like, gets it back for him. Um, but then, before they can like fully uh, enjoy their scene, they notice, "Hey, wait, there's human footprints out here. That's weird. These aren't ours." And they look, and they find some refugees out in the wasteland being. Like, they've been captured by robots. And, like, the robots are, like, marching them off to somewhere. And they're like, oh, shit. Maybe we should do something about this. And so they, uh, they infiltrate the refugees and they try to, like, start formulating a plan. But then things kind of take an unexpected turn for them because there's this military guy there, Commander Murdoch. And he is like, listen, I'm going to make a distraction so everyone can escape. And they're like, no, no, don't do that. You don't understand. 
we're Power Rangers. Well, they don't say that, but like that's obviously, you know, <laughs> like they're like, we're the Power Rangers. Please let us <laughs> do our thing in a minute. We're not ready. Um, he has a red beret too. He does. Woke Commander Murdoch? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> and he is like he's ready to sacrifice himself so that other people can escape. Um, and he's like, you know, I'm gonna make this distraction. You get everybody else and, and, and make a run for it. And they're like, no, 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 we don't want to do that. Um, because they're also kind of hoping to, like, figure out where these robots are maybe taking these people, you know, like, get multiple usages out of this situation. Commander Murdoch tries to make his distraction. And, like, he's just kind of getting wrecked by the robots. And they're, like, standing there like, what do we do? And finally Scott and Jem are like, Fuck it, and they morph into ranger mode, and they dunk all the robots. Because uh, they feel like... I mean, it literally looks like Commander Murdoch might get killed. Like, they might just execute him right there. Um, yeah. So... That uh, man was gonna die, and like be like, wow, I led a failed insurrection. Yeah. Like, that's what it truly seemed like it was gonna happen. Yeah, it was intense. <laughs> Tanaya shows up at some point to help guard, so then they fight Tanaya too. They manage to get all the refugees in a truck, and they get out of there. They end up, like, getting some even some more people, but they don't find Dylan's sister, which is just, like, a minor moment in the episode, thankfully. <laughs> like, as just one little scene like that, fine. Fine. The problem is, when you make a third of the episode, like, the episode's B or C plot is Dylan's sister again. This establishes a couple of other important things as they uh, rescue these folks. Commander Murdoch says, listen, there's quite a few human-robot hybrids. So that suddenly is this new information that they're all sitting with. Um, now there's more hybrids inside the, the domed city. Yeah, and we don't know who they are. And uh, at the very end, command, uh, Colonel Truman uh, tries to give Scott a medal for rescuing the people out in the desert. And Scott's like, listen, I would love to accept this medal, but I have to be honest. I drove drunk out to the desert trying to make trouble. <laughs> and just, like, owns up to it. Um, and, like, there's kind of a, a good moment with him and his dad at the end where they just sort of acknowledge each other at that level of, like, okay, all right, I see you right now. And it closes out. It's just a really solid episode. It really builds well off the previous stuff with Scott and his dad from Ranger Red. And uh, it really helps Scott's character kind of come like fully into being like a truly heroic leader that you would need for the end, you know? Yeah. So amazing episode. I agree. Next up was Not So Simple. Another incredible, absolute banger, contender for best for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Very subversive episode. So Gemma is writing stuff in her diary about how she thinks about the other rangers. And Flynn reads her diary, <laughs> which Before alone is hilarious. Before we get anywhere else, I just have to talk about how funny that is. Wait, hold on. It's even better because the way they start the episode isn't with you see Gemma writing in her diary and then it goes into the scenes no it literally starts off like if the episode's gonna be like a made for kids recap episode 
And I'm like, oh, no, I'm too old for shit like this. Come on. Like, that's the way it's written. It's like Red Ranger Scott. He is blah, 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 blah. Yellow Ranger Summer. She is blah, 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 blah. And you're like, oh, fuck. This is a fucking recap episode. Damn it. What is canon about this? Flynn busts in and interrupts that (laughs) sweet narrative scene. And it does have that like kind of like kids show recap music going on even. Like it's a whole thing. But Flynn just busts in and he's like, a simple mechanic? What the fuck? And he's like upset. And Gemma's like, you read my diary? And Flynn's like, yes, I did read your diary. But also, what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) I I think I like the the whiplash I got from that. I've never seen that level of subversiveness before in a television show. Record scratch, freeze frame. (laughs) Yeah. Like like... incredible. (laughs) incredible subversion on that one also adds to Gemma's whole you know haven't had a childhood thing yes Mm -hmm. oh which by the way we didn't address this but in a previous episode uh Gem and Gemma made a map um for Scott and Dylan and it was just like unicorns and rainbows and stuff or it was Summer and Dylan I can't remember who was following I think it was Summer and Dylan actually but yeah it's it's yeah Gem and Gemma are definitely coping with their lack of childhood in many interesting ways and they're not like fully infantilized or something like that you know what i mean like they they they're capable of acting like adults in many scenes but they have this like repressed childhood thing that's just coming out a lot so flynn and Gemma like kind of briefly argue about this but then uh alarms go off they have to head out and flynn's been working on this like sort of jump starter for the zord it seems like maybe something that would help them in this instance, but it is a total system failure and it makes the Zords even worse. And Dr. K is furious with Flynn and is basically like, you're an idiot. Don't touch any machines again. Fuck you. Um, and just like absolutely shreds him to bits, like really harsh. And Flynn just, like, heads to his workshop and just starts throwing his, sh- his shit away. And he's like, fuck it. I guess I'm just worthless. And he's, like, has, like, a total moment of despair. Gemma kind of sees this happening and sneaks over after he leaves and pulls some of his stuff out of the trash and starts looking at it. And eventually Flynn finds her messing with his stuff. And he's like, hey, what, the f- what are you doing messing with my broken shit? And Gemma's like, hey, listen, a lot of these designs are pretty good. I've been checking them out all night. We should work together on some of these. I think we could make them work. And uh, that leads to like a really fun, like literally like, again, another like 80s montage in the show where it's like upbeat synth music and just like Gemma and Flynn like pouring beakers and putting wires together. I loved it. Yeah, this was amazing. I loved it, too. It was amazing. It felt like Trini and Billy from MMPR. But, like, Um, honestly, turned up to 11. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for sure, for sure. So this this leads to them creating this thing, the Road Attack Zord. And they end up in this desperate situation where they're fighting and they have no Zords. And uh, Gemma's, like, trying to convince Dr. K. She's like, listen, I worked with Flynn on this Zord. I know you don't trust us. 
but I did upload it to the computer already. If you think it's worth launching, you could launch it. You get the final call <laughs> and just like puts it on Dr. K like that. And Dr. K is just like furious at first that they messed with her computer, that they designed a Zord, that they did any of this stuff. But she looks it over and she says, all right, fine. Uh, it's, des it's a desperate situation. This just might work. We'll give it a shot. Launches the road attack Zord. Um, the road attack Zord does kind of beat the enemies up, but it's also super overpowered and it's beating up the rangers a little too. And Dr. K at first is like frustrated again and Flynn is like, oh, this is another failure for me. God damn it. Just like pissed, you know, but they end up resolving it when they realize, oh, this overpowered road attack Zord could be used to fuel... Flynn's failed jump starter and actually jump start the regular Zords. And uh, they managed to make it all work. And in the end, uh, Dr. K apologizes to Flynn at least somewhat and is like, you know what? You, you, you have, you know, the ability to create valuable things too. And uh, acknowledges that. Um, and also, like, uh, Gemma kind of implies that she has feelings for Flynn, but also, like, Jem is like a little protective about it and is like, I don't know if I'm gonna allow this. <laughs> yeah. But it didn't feel like Dylan and his sister where like sometimes it seems like they want to fuck. It just felt like truly overprotective brother stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's it unfortunate. Like, like this romance lasts like maybe a total of two episodes before they just give up on it. I really was hoping that they would come back to this romance at the end, and it, they didn't really. It is a fantastic episode. I love it, though. Yes, amazing episode. Mm -hmm. 22 is the anti-misogyny episode, right? That Disney had the audacity, so, the moral authority to make. Yeah, this is a very wild episode on a few levels. It's called The Dome Dolls, episode 22. And at first... I thought this was going to maybe be the worst episode for, like, the first, like, two to three minutes. <laughs> Same. Because you know it's coming. You know it's coming. You can kind of see what's coming, and you're like, oh, God, Disney might just wreck this. <laughs> yes, but if you heard me earlier, I said this is a triple hatter situation. Yeah, so, so there's two major plot points to this episode. Um, that are crucial to the way the episode works out. And this is actually one of Tanaya's best performances, too. So, first of all... Yes, um, All the men go to sleep. Just one of those things. Ziggy is, like, 10% immune because he's, like, 10% non-binary, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> Ziggy was, like, away from where it happened and then, like, <laughs> did some shenanigans when he was, like, envisioning himself as why the last man... <laughs> He just decides to like be like, oh, what does this do? His way into falling asleep. <laughs> Ziggy's, Ziggy's like, fuck out. yeah, and... I'm the last man. Let's fucking go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like just overtly horny. Um, I will say also, uh, Amy was watching this episode with me and always loves to queer theorize about stuff. And when he was not falling asleep, she was like trans man question mark <laughs> <laughs> it just led to a lot of funny moments for us around the house too watching that episode everybody liked it 
And uh, but yeah, so Ziggy does fall asleep, and, and all the men are asleep. And at first, there's this like moment of panic when this happens, where you're like, "Are the women about to be like, we can't do this without the men?" <laughs> but then they actually manage to like fully U-turn it, and they're like, "No, we're fine. We got this." And they just start all like working together and rocking out. Um, and it's like the handful of women at the military base are doing their thing. Dr. K and Summer are doing their things. And they're like, listen, we're shorthanded. We all have to focus and stay on it and communicate. But we can, we can uh, prevent Vengex from taking the city. Yes. Um, and, and Dr. K is clear that like, she just needs enough time to create an antidote to wake the men up. She knows that basically from the beginning. They, they set that up right away. Dr. K really solidified herself as like another ranger to the team, I think, with this episode. Because I mentioned it before with the Dr. Mm -hmm. K episode, but this one especially, she was like calling the shots here. Yeah, for sure. She's more than like a Zordon. Yeah. yeah. Summer also has uh, some really good one-liners and zingers in here as well. I like them too. And then on the Vengex side, Vengex just made an overtly misogynist villain. So, that... yeah, Vengex has this old general that was, like, one of his early generals in the human-robot wars that he had believed destroyed, General K Kilobyte. And this dude hates women. Just, like, he... And he has, like, this old British man voice, too, which honestly really helps to sell it. He's just like, ah, yes, female. <laughs> He's like a an old school British like pickup artist. <laughs> Honestly, I would go even further and say not even pickup artist. He almost seemed to give off that vibe of like old school British gay guy that just hates women. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Like, absolutely does not want to, like, see or talk to a woman. Yeah. Not even romantically for, like, a one-night stand. Nope. Nope. Not at all. It was really interesting, though, because, like, he has robot hair, but the hair is this stylish mohawk, and he frequently, like, slicks it back as if it was real hair. Yeah, he has a lot of weird mannerisms. And part of that, I think, is to emphasize that he's, like, kind of outdated technology, a theme that they come back to over and over. Because Vengex at first is kind of hyped to have General Kilobyte back, but then quickly makes it clear that, like, uh, yeah, Tanaya Seven's my main general. She's way more advanced than you. And I, it's cool that you're here, but, like, can you just kind of, like, do busy work? And General yeah. Kilobyte's like, what the fuck? I used to be your top general. How did this happen to me? And on top of that, my replacement is a woman, and I hate women. <laughs> like he's really like you can't emphasize enough that this guy hates women <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's it's interesting too because from a writing perspective they really use it to play up the theme of the episode because the women back at Corinth are kind of addressing a little bit that like there's some misogyny around here that we don't get to talk about normally, and we can talk about it right now, right? And, like, they're kind of touching on it lightly, but then Tanaya and Kilobyte are having this overt, extreme misogynistic interaction 
And it's like, it ties everything together and kind of makes it clear what the commentary is. Yeah, like, Kilobyte is actively impeding Tanaya on destroying the Rangers, which is, like, really the first time that the villains went so far as just, like, talking shit about each other to, like, actively impeding each other. Yeah, they've never, like, actively fucked with each other this season up till now, which is unusual for the Power Rangers. But, like, the Vengex team is just like, yeah, we're all robots and we want to kill the humans. And we might, like, bicker a little, but we want to kill the humans. But yeah. Kilobyte is like, I don't accept this human-robot hybrid shit. I don't like women. I don't like the changes. I don't like new technology. I don't like any of this. I want to be able to say my slurs out loud and proud. Simple as. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He really is the simple as villain. Like, yeah. kill some humans, go to the pub, yell at a woman, simple as. <laughs> <laughs> it really does make sense for him to be gay as well. I'm he's not, he could be a asexual too, to be clear. Like, he doesn't have to be gay. No, but, he frequently, he wants Vengex, like, Vengex clearly has a daughter complex with Tanaya. Because Tanaya... Yeah. Because, like, as much as Tanaya fucks up, Vengex is like, Rrr! and Tanaya's like, you're not going to do shit. You're not going to do shit. He's like, you're right. Uh. Also, realistically, Tanaya does work hard on a lot of her plots. So a lot of times yeah. there's this thing going on where Vengex will be like, you failed, Tanaya, but we're only like a third of the way into the episode. She's like, <laughs> you think I failed? Check this out. And she puts up uh, on the screen, like, her hand is like, giving somebody a wedgie or something you know like <laughs> <laughs> yeah like tanaya at least does have some like really successful plots out of a lot of the other generals that he has but vengex is frequently like the dad character yes it's a little um, both like tanaya is probably his most competent general but that doesn't mean he's not also kind of like fathering her as a daughter in certain ways and like kind of just giving her that benefit that a parent would a child. Yeah, I think this becomes apparent, more so apparent after this episode. Yes. But it, it is to fight over dad's attention. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I will say this too, Kilobyte is sort of queer-coded in the way that a lot of Disney villains are. He has that, like, Disney villain gay guy tropes thing going on. So I think that, reminds I think me that of makes, the... makes it easier to read it that way. He reminds me of like a an overtly misogynist version of like the church pastor from uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame, like straight up that sort of like hatred for women. Yeah, like just pure cruelty. It's very visceral because they 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 do it like without blinking. And Tanaya is just like having to stay silent, and they let those moments drag on. They don't they don't like quickly. Well shift it, change yeah they I'm don't sorry. quickly i was gonna say though like she's silent in this episode but she starts to realize that she can push back and that becomes a thing so that's also like that gets like more and more interesting yeah because at first she's like shit do i have to just like shut up like is Vengex gonna just like let this dude be a misogynist but then she realizes oh actually Vengex likes me more and she starts to see an inkling of that even before the end of this episode, but it's still kind of like, it's still kind of more complicated. And at this point, Vengex kind of seems like he might 
entrust Kilobyte with a lot of responsibilities at the end of this episode and kind of trust him more. So it's Ranger stuff. Unclear. Ranger stuff to me in this episode was pretty okay, but I think the all-out star breakout performance was Tanaya. And I think ultimately unusual and it's great. Yeah, it's very unusual and it prevents her from like being like a major like sticking point to the season, right? Yeah, and it's really like I think this villains playing against each other, it always works well in the Power Rangers, and it was a really good addition to the end of the season. To have Tanaya and Kilobyte start to kind of be plotting against each other, uh, keeping secrets and sharing things with Vengex, but not each other, you know, all that kind of stuff. And like uh, sabotaging each other, you know? Yeah. On the Ranger side of things, uh, Dr. K, I think, was the the best actress to really hold her own on this one. I will make one more comment on this and and say that like this season kind of suffers from like issues that we've seen in previous seasons where we we do have these good tropes of like when the villains are plotting against each other the action gets better, but I don't think the villains were strong enough this time around to really carry us all the way to like the end, you know. Kilobyte they helped. They were the strongest villains ever. I'll say that much. Yeah, this was kind of like the finale should be happening like in three episodes from this one versus like what we ended up getting. Yeah, uh, some of this goes on a bit too long and I can't say that like a lot of these episodes are incredible per se. Yeah, basically the lead up to the finale is... Three major things happen, I believe. Tanaya. Tanaya, the Dylan and Tanaya plot is the biggest one. Well, let's let's do this in order. Okay. They, first of all, Ancient History is an episode we have to talk about. Oh, God. It introduces the Paleozord. It introduces the Paleozord. It, it uh, is, the Rangers go to uh, Alphabet Soup and see it for themselves for a minute which is kind of interesting and then they destroy it i don't even know what they got out of it though um, outside of the paleozord they had to get something out of it besides the paleozord i think maybe or maybe it was just the paleozord i don't know but it paleozord was like, paleozord also run goes with like train tracks yeah and it has a dick yeah when they combine with it the zord does like a hip thrust with and the it elephant has, trunk. The elephant t- trunk like comes down and is just like dangling from like yeah. the, the the groin Bad Zord area. Like, I... Okay. Um, so... <laughs> this is the episode also... We already talked the about... The Zord that Dr. K made. Honestly. And I think it was a yeah. later invention, too, technically, in her, in her lifetime. Because she was like, I made it, but I made it too powerful. No, it was, it was her earliest. And the problem was it used the spirits of extinct animals and she could never get it to, like, align with the morphing grid correctly basically bruh yeah that's some like full metal alchemist shit (laughs) (laughs) i know right um Uh, she's like she needs to like be tried in the hague holy shit um oh my god yeah so this is the episode we don't need to relitigate all of this but this is the episode uh, where Dr. K, it's re- it's fully revealed that Dr. K is the one who created Vengex. Everyone finds out. And Colonel Truman 
tries to arrest her at first and then kind of decides that he's going to like let it slide. Yeah, and he gives her a a full fucking pardon. It's it's fucked on multiple levels cuz first of all, it Colonel Truman feels like he's just seeking a scapegoat to like blame so that he does he's like no one can like point back and be like isn't the government kind of responsible for this? He'd be like, no, 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 it was a rogue within the government. Dr. K, working alone, you can't blame the government at all. Listen, <laughs> like, there was a shooting at the Pentagon, don't worry about it. Like, that's, like, <laughs> that's the vibe of Colonel Truman, so that's cursed. But also, Dr. K getting forgiven is cursed, so it's just curse, 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 cursed episode. Before that, it was kind of poggy because then you were like, oh, is Dr. K going to have to like hide underground and help from underground from now on? That would have been um, cool. They would have been hella cool, but... Would have worked no. well. She did do the whole hologram thing really well, though. That was a good like first half. It, it was, this episode was goofy, though. Like Red Ranger having to catch a train and like tame it kind of like you would, like uh, <laughs> I don't know, like fucking Monster Rancher or some shit. This was one of the only other contenders for worst, I thought. Yes. Because it was not just cursed, but also goofy. Yes. So, it's just not great. Key to the past comes after that. Dylan figures out the keys fit in his watch. It happens now in episode 25. Fuck you! Um, oh, shit. I thought it happened sooner. That's why I was saying. I was like, no, dude. It takes forever. <laughs> Oh my god, the guy, what else is he gonna do with that little key? I know, right? So Dylan kind of- There's a small starts... little hole in my little pocket thing, and she has the key- There's a tiny oh. little hole in my heart where my sister used to be, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Dylan kind of- It's very to suggestive. Put together When he the puts it in the first- <laughs> Finally. Finally starts to put together the mystery. Also, Tanaya starts to put together the mystery. Her timeline makes sense, though. Because two episodes ago, two episodes ago was the first time she got a hint that there was something about her past that she didn't know. So Tanaya found out this information and followed up on it within two episodes. Dylan has been chasing the same ghost for like 20 fucking episodes. Ridiculous. Dylan is... Tanaya is the smarter sibling. Let's just say that much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Everybody, I, I think everybody kind of like shits the bed towards the end. Um, Anyone, sorry, not everybody. Both yeah, of them. Yeah. Both of them. My bad. But not I'm everybody. Still, I'm still saying though that the timeline of Tanaya finding this out two episodes ago, getting a hint, because at the end of that one episode, she overhears Vengex and Killabai talking. And the, and and Vengex is like, Tanaya can never find out the tr the full truth of her past, basically. And Tanaya's like, hmm. So two episodes later, she investigates it and finds out. Like, yo, Dylan, what the fuck? Yeah, it's so. It's, <laughs> this was the Paleozord stuff. That shit was uh, definitely contender for worse. This one wasn't that bad. Because Tanaya was great. This wasn't like a breakout performance for Tanaya, like the anti-misogyny episode. No. But this one, I felt that like Tanaya's acting was good. And yeah, she was the one pulling most of the lifting here. She nails some of this stuff with her own investigation into her past. This made her. me like drag down Dylan, though. 
Like, yes. it took way too fucking long for Dylan to figure this shit out. After this episode, there wasn't really like a, much of a chance that Dylan would be S tier for me. Yeah. Also, um, uh, outside of Ziggy, this sort of shared screen time of relationships is mostly Dylan and Tanaya. Yeah. Gemma and Flynn get like one moment, I believe, where Flynn f- finishes Gemma's sentences. And you're yeah. like, oh, fuck, that's crazy. It's really easy to imply that behind the scenes they've started dating, but they don't say it. Yeah. Yeah, like th- this whole like Dylan, Tanaya being in trouble, Tanaya potentially being in danger over something, Dylan having to go rescue her. That's all of like the on-screen relationships. Like that consumes the end of this season. Yeah. Thankfully, it's not that many more episodes, though. Yeah. Um, so, uh, beyond a doubt, Dylan and Tanaya uh, basically try to work together to break into Benjix's palace. Um, and it's somewhat successful. Uh, I'm not going to get into all of it because it's like a long, weird plot, and I just don't care. Um, but at the end, this is the most frustrating part of the episode. This episode is also, like, vaguely a contender for worst, honestly. <laughs> is they've, like, saved Tanaya, and then there's, like, it's like a Nick Cage movie scene where, like, the person that you need to walk to is just, like, down at the end of, like, the block, and you're walking down the street, and then they get captured somehow, like, 40 feet away from you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a plot twist you saw coming from, like, three miles away, though. And it makes sense that Kilobyte would kidnap her and it makes sense that Tanaya would get turned into a more evil form for the end of the season and all of that like works but that scene is stupid before we get to the culmination of all of that because that's basically the end of the season let's call out the Ziggy episode yeah we gotta talk about it like you know the Dylan and sister shit is like most of the the bullshit this is the other bullshit that happens this romance between Ziggy and Dr. K is so awkward. One of the most awkward relationships I've ever seen on screen because Dr. K frequently shuts down Ziggy with like, not even as like a, a sort of like, hey, stop fucking asking me out. I'm getting angry. But more as in like, a, hey, I am literally not into you at all, and I don't care where, how you feel about it or not. You can ask me as many times as you want, but I will always say no because I just I'm not into you. And like, he he like needs someone to go out with to go to an errand, and it's kind of clear that he's basically wanting to get a date with Doctor K, and so he's like. Being like, oh, everybody else rejected me because they're all doing something else. Dr. K, will you go with me? And she's like... he doesn't beg her. He doesn't beg her. She volunteers and he finds it really unusual. Oh, because he thought she was going to reject him, right? Yeah, he was like, he's like, he's like, well, everybody else already said, no, I guess you will too. And she's like, no, I'll I'll go out today. And it turns out why is because it's her birthday. Yeah. Uh, And And you're just like, oh, fuck. And I go out and do something but ziggy cannot stop thinking about his dick this man needs to get laid so bad that he just turns 
every moment about this, about him potentially getting with Dr. K. He manages to turn it around a little bit before the end of this episode, but here's the problem. The last, like, six or seven episodes leading up to this, Ziggy has been overly horny in all of them. If you took this episode alone and you hadn't seen any of the others, it's not so bad. It kind of makes sense. And Dr. K is finally kind of letting on that she actually doesn't mind Ziggy in this episode a little bit. So it's like, this resolves some of that, finally, thank God. But it's so cringe when for like, 10 episodes maybe even ziggy has been like overly horny in every episode and dr k is like i'm not into you but apparently it felt undeserved it felt really undeserved (laughs) it felt ridiculous it felt like if they had done that romance from lightspeed badly you know like because you had the joel and miss fairweather thing going on where joel sometimes was like a little too inappropriate at work and would kind of blow it with her you know but ultimately, at the end of the day, he was, like, mostly respectful. And she made it clear that, like, you do have a chance with me. But, like, it's got to yeah, be Yeah, right I was going to say, place. like, Miss Fairweather you know I mean? was just like, like, listen, just kind of, you know, just chill out a can bit. Can we maybe you know? just wait until this Power Ranger stuff is done? And then we could talk about this more seriously. Yeah. Also, we're at work right now. And I would kind of like you to cool it. Like... Like, there was some of that. And Keep like, it low-key. That actually ended up being, like, a great plot that taught a lot of, like, positive moral lessons. Like, if you were trying to learn how to respect someone's boundaries like that or something. You know what I mean? Like, but this? No. <laughs> None of that. You did not learn to respect someone's boundaries by watching this. What the fuck? Yeah, it's terrible. I hated that episode. Also, another kind of contender for worse, but it's just, like, to the average person... It's going to be, it would have created one of those moments where like you and I are like, this is like really shitty. And, and someone's going like, actually, I kind of liked it. It yeah, was I thought pretty this funny. It was okay. And like, again, Dr. K finally starts to let on that she does like Ziggy in this episode. And Ziggy isn't as completely cringe as he's been in some previous episodes. So it's like on its own, I don't think. Like a, a a random watcher would have had as strong of a reaction to it. But it, it's, it context, shouldn't work. It shouldn't work at all. Context. That, that, that's my Fuck. thing. Yeah, like e- like with the context added in, not only even if Ziggy wasn't overtly horny, let's say to Doctor K, Doctor K's sort of response to Ziggy is like elementary school level relationship. Like, uh, I like you. Let's maybe start holding hands. I like you, so I will punch you every time I see you. Yes. That's Dr. K to Ziggy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So after that, yeah. we get into Endgame. Um, and then Danger and Destiny, which uh, finish out the show. Um, I don't so, want to over uh, explain these episodes just because this has already been a long season finale. They set up a decent ending with Vengex and stuff. Vengex's final form is pretty cool. Some of the fights are alright. Overall, most of the stakes are set well and the plots are okay. But then they kind of just... So Endgame is like probably like an 8 or a 9. But Danger and Destiny is like a, a six. 7 or a mm. 6. Because especially yeah. the final five minutes, they blow this. Yeah. 
or I'm sorry, it's Endgame is a separate episode, and then Danger and Destiny is the two-parter. I mixed it up a little. Yeah, so Endgame I agree. is a great episode. Part one of Danger and Destiny is pretty good, and then part two is like, hmm, they really just kind of ran out of words or something. I don't know. <laughs> before we before we get into what happens to the characters at the very end after they beat Vengex, uh, I will say a couple things. Uh, Vengex's plan of activating the hybrids, as they're called, which is like basically Vengex virus infected humans. Silence. Um Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the Dome City of Corinth to like take over and sur- and basically end humanity there. That was really cool. And then Vengex goes to meet Dr. K. That was also really cool. I love and that scene. That scene was great. And like Dr. K yeah. immediately like dismissing Vengex's existence, saying that she hates him and like what he's came to be and how he's like this cruel entity, etc. And is nothing like her. And then Vengex is all like, well, you're the one that created me. So what does that say about you? And I'm like, yeah, Dr. K, you should probably, like, rectify that somehow by being tried in a court of law. (laughs) Uh, You know, but Um, I digress. That stuff was really cool. And then the the game plan from Dr. K was basically predicting what the AI was going to do because it seemed like that the AI had adopted a human response, which she was able to predict, which was to as cruel and as vengeful as possible against Dr. K and Which, everything that she loves. Again, there had been evidence of this, most notably the factory uh, plot line, where, uh, we, as we had discussed before, the only reason that Vengex keeping humans there to work was the cruelty. So there had been, like, evidence that helped Dr. K form this conclusion that felt satisfying as the viewer. Yeah, I think something that doesn't work is Gem and Gemma dying. They kind of overplay that when it's really obvious that they're going to bring them back. Yeah, so the morphing grid is able to take away life instantaneously as much as it's able to give it, which we haven't really seen before. We saw giving life with Alpha 5, but we didn't really see deletion, which is exactly what happens when... Mm -hmm. uh, Vengex gets the data from Dr. K's computer, which she has all the diagnostics information for everything on, including like everyone's t- a composition because I don't know. She's adopted CIA tactics. Yeah. Anyways. So, this is cool though, because like Vengex is able to like take the knowledge of the morphing grid and then tap into it and then use it in an evil ass way we've never seen before, but we have seen some hints of villains using the morphing grid against the rangers so it does kind of line up with like things that we know from power rangers lore but it's also like nuts and i will say although the gem and gemma dying scene and then coming back like that's a little bit weak in certain respects uh Vengix acquiring that power just in general was kind of like whoa holy shit it would have been better had it just took away their ability to morph Yes, I think he should have just taken away their ability to morph in their zords. They didn't need to go that far. Yeah, especially because they pulled the punch and it just wasn't necessary, especially in a season where they don't pull a lot of punches like that. So it felt like weird that they had to do that. I don't know. 
Um, but yeah, the the hybrid stuff, all really cool. And I do want to uh, make note of something that we mentioned in the best and worst episode, which is that Corporal Hicks was a hybrid. Remember how he was a little too curious about stuff sometimes? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that was cool. Also, um, Vasquez turned out to be a hybrid from the from the Women Rock episode. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I like the whole government building spire falling down on the vengex destroying him that was very like classic action movie kind of stuff and it just worked pretty well yeah but then we get into like the character wrap-ups and holy shit what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) so some of the character wrap-up stuff is like not all bad like them turning in the morphers was like a fine scene where they're kind of like hey this this era of our life is over whatever but then it's like what are y'all doing after this oh god oh no (laughs) yeah Um, vengex is hiding in one of the morphers yes that's cool that was actually pog yeah that was the very final thing that we see was that ominous ending which like made me feel like oh god they have to bring rpm back eventually like do an (laughs) rpm sequel season how cool would that be and it's like set like 10 years or 20 years later and like they've like somewhat rebuilt society but also a lot of things are still a little bit like kind of messy and whatever and i don't know that could be like that could be really cool i'm not gonna lie it could be cool but it could also be a little bit too uh too much for our current times <laughs> true but i, I think it is like if they did it like kind of like how some of the later mad max movies like build off the concepts of the early mad max i don't know there's some ways that they could make this really cool hell yeah and so that made me kind of pog because i was like oh shit <laughs> red light <laughs> But yeah. outside of that, a lot of the other stuff was not cool. Dr. Let's start King with Scott. Were, well, were okay. uh, we're going to start with so that? start there, I guess, because it wasn't the worst of the bunch. Okay. So Ziggy goes, hey, you know how you brought Gem and Gemma back from the morphing grid with a bunch of keystrokes? Let's monetize that. Yay. That's not their ending. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. They start a school. Yes. So then Dr. K is like, actually, let's start a school. And then yeah. they announce that they're going to do a school together. Yeah. Uh, for little kids to learn how to program, to learn programming <laughs> for the more using the morphing grid as their language. <laughs> what could go wrong? Um, yeah. So they, they start a school. Here are the ethics like, of, of programming in Morphing Grid. <laughs> it's already clear that Dr. K is not going to like really deal with the Honestly, of that Ziggy shit. was like libertarian right before this school comment. So just let's just leave it at that. This is like a, a plus for Ziggy. And sure, why not? They're together. Fine. At Whatever. least it's not awkward in this final scene. Like completely. Yeah. Fuck. Scott. Scott gets a terrible ending. What's Scott's ending? Scott uh, just becomes the Eagle Squad captain like his brother used to be, which just feels like a step down from Red Ranger. Like, he's excited to, like, make his dad happy, but it's like, dude. I thought he would take Corporal Hicks's job. 
No, he gets his brother's old job. I know, but I was saying is I was hoping he'd take his dad's job and just oh, run yeah. the whole place. Yeah, that would yeah, be cool. If his dad had been like, "Son, I'm retiring." A lot of people have talked about it, and we think you could be the person to take over for you me. You saved the remnants of humanity. Like you were a big part. You were the leader of this whole entire operation that helped save humanity. Yeah, Scott's take legit my job. Great. Yeah, yeah, like. But instead, it's just like, you want your brother's old job? I finally kind of like you, son. <laughs> you know what's nah. funny is that Jem's going to be the head of the, of the Dome City of Corinth <laughs> over Scott. That's right? going to be the really fucked up part. And you know what? That could be cool, too, though. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be better than, well, you know how, like... The Blue Ranger from that season became the Red Ranger. Well, now they're the 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 Doctor K, and I'm the Red Ranger now. Oh shit! Jem becomes Colonel Truman, and Gemma becomes the Red Ranger. That's the Pogus ending. That would be Pog. I was gonna <laughs> say, damn, did that happen to them? What were the what were Jem uh, and Gemma's character endings? Uh, uh, Gem also, and uh, like we're gonna help rebuild society, and they 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 they're like we'll uh we'll uh join Eagle Squad with Scott because they want to prove that they can work as a team. Still, very clearly that the relationship between Gemma and Flynn did not work out. Yeah, Flynn's like I'm getting out of here. Fuck this town. I don't remember exactly what he says, but he's. Like... <laughs> I think he was just like I'm just gonna go be a mechanic with my dad. No, yeah, he and his no, he and his dad actually, uh, uh, they're gonna go build, uh, like systems for the city, like do infrastructure work to rebuild yeah. society. You know, like that's good ending, but good man, ending yeah, yeah, good ending, but it makes me think less of Jem, because I, uh, to, it, for me, it feels like Jem kind of got in the middle of that and like fucked that up a bit. It's hard to say for sure, but yeah, it's 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 weird. It's just not a good. They should have given Flynn and Gemma a little moment. Like, I don't know why they didn't think to just give them that. It would have been fine. Yeah. So, <laughs> so let's move on to the the biggest uh, what the fuck ending. And then, uh, so, so, so all of these Wait, have been let's... like semi reasonable, even if they kind of sucked. But then we get to the one that doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> All right, so before this, I was ranting with Kennedy, and I was like, listen, like, this is an overtly sexualized relationship between Tanaya and Dylan. Like, you cannot, like, the sexual, tw t the sexual tension between those two is insane. And, like, they keep putting Tanaya in danger, and Dylan is the one that's always like, we got to go save her. We got to fucking go save her no matter what. I don't care if everyone else died as long as I have Tanaya. Like that is, that's those two. And then yep. I'm like, surely this is the extent of that. And then we'll finally get a moment between Summer and Dylan. And then Tanaya goes and does something to help the city or whatever. But as the camera's like rotating around everyone and it's kind of going over like what everyone's going to do, etc. Like you realize that Tanaya is dressed up like Dylan and Summer is also dressed up like Dylan. They're all in leather jackets and they all pile in Dylan's car and take off for the wasteland like a fucking Mormon family or something. 
And then they stop in the middle of the wasteland. Back at the spot where Dylan watered that flower. And what do you know? There's fields of flowers, dog. Oh, my God. The first flower they see before they see the field, it's three dandelions, I think, next to each other. And I'm (laughs) like, dog, y'all didn't need to go hard on the symbolism here. Come on. Come on. And it's like an Adam and Eve type situation. Yeah, where they're like, look at this valley of beautiful land and water and flowers. Let's go repopulate humanity. It's like the vibes are so off. It's so bad. And like, <laughs> also, the problem is, is like, they could have even kind of saved this if like, just like have Summer and Dylan just like kiss. <laughs> like fucking A. <laughs> like, no attention given to Summer. None. <laughs> Ab- absolute none. All right, Ranger rankings. This is a tough one this season. Like they're all pretty good, but like which one is actually excel? Oh yeah, not Ziggy. Ziggy's like a B or a C. I think he's like a low B for me. I don't think he's actually like a C. Uh, his early stuff is where he shines. After that, completely falls off. Becomes horny every single time they put him on. See, his one-liners are pretty good though, which I guess kind of makes up for it. But like, dog, like, there's just a lot of like bad shit in here. <laughs> Very I libertarian, you, I think right? If you binged it a little less though, and like watched it a little slower, you'd be like, he's a low B. Like, because actually, he does get a lot of like. Scenes where he shines more so than a lot of other characters, even if he's drugged down by the bullshit. I think he skates by more so because of his background and his past, more so than his present actions. His quips are fun, though. I do like the way he says, RPM, get in gear. <laughs> and like every time, without fail, no matter the situation, he says it like that every single time. He also sells right. well being the worst ranger, but like yes. in a fun way, not in yes. like a, oh, I just suck way, but in like a, in like a Billy way. When he is being horny though, it's really annoying. Yes. And unfortunately that's like, because they like threw humor in other spots, they were like, Ziggy, you're horny brother. So Summer, I think is also a B, but like a high B. And it's mostly just cause she gets neglected. Low B. If she had more screen time, she'd probably be higher, but like that screen time would have to be not related to Dylan. Yeah, agreed. Dylan, uh, I think, is also a B. Dylan's still an A for me. Even if like Mard, at one point he was gonna be S tier. Like he has some of the funniest lines in the whole season. Amazing like quips and stuff. And like also a lot of the most heartwarming scenes in the season when like Especially like when he's like struggling with his past, but then he like he's like, no, you, you, you rangers are like more important to me than that stuff. It's just like when he meets up with Tanaya, all of a sudden it's a train wreck. You, <laughs> he's, <laughs> but that's also like you gotta understand end. that's like you're literally describing two halves of the season. No, he literally doesn't meet Tanaya until like episode twenty five. Like the really awkward shit does not happen till the very end. Mm, I think the really awkward shit starts to happen in the middle with the sister shit. Like I said, the plot line was already revealed 
for that in the very beginning. I caught one moment. You caught a completely separate moment. But you're moment. talking about the writing of the season now. I'm talking about the character. But that has to do with Dylan's character. But a lot of his scenes are still good before that. Like when he's grappling with like, I don't know when I'm going to become a PTSD. machine and shit. And the PTSD and stuff. like. And also, again, a lot of the very best quips. And like a scene that we brushed over in one episode is like there's this whole part where like he and Scott chain themselves together. And like that... The dialogue in that alone is like some of the best dialogue in the whole season. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. It's just at the very end, though, when he actually meets up with Tanaya, he just no. turns into cringe mode. Well, yeah, but I mean, it, it kind of like falters the ending. It fumbles the ending quite a lot. Not to mention he's in a polycule with his sister and Summer. <laughs> I just still think I think he's a I think he's an A character overall because most of the episodes, if you watched like everything up till like episode twenty-four and then just stopped, you would pretty much say that Dylan is S tier. No, I still would have put him in A. I'll give him A. I'll give him low A. I think that's fair. I think that's he fair. would probably be my new bar. Well, no, because I think Andros is A, and Andros is always my lowest like A tier. There's a clear-cut difference between, like, the Sixth Ranger in Mystic Force and Andros, right? Like, in terms of, like, writing quality, I would say. And, like, consistency and plot lines. So, I would say, yeah. He's definitely low A. He's, like, right above Andros for me. He might even be the new bar for A, honestly. Yeah, I was thinking that. Maybe. Yeah, because um, the sister shit, like... Y'all don't understand, like, episode 25, there's still 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32. Like, <laughs> that's still, like, a good chunk of the season that that's, like, his brain just goes, like, sister, 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 sister. <laughs> I love my sister. She's my sister. I need to save her. Like, it's, it's, it's fun. Thanks, Disney. Um, <laughs> uh, Gem and Gemma. Uh, Gem's probably B. Gemma A. I'm gonna go stronger. I think Gem is like mid A, and Gemma is like high A. Cause Gem's episode with Scott, amazing, like really solidified his character. And even if there's, like, this kind of truth or stuff that we can read in about, like, what happened to Gemma and Flynn's relationship, that happens behind the scenes and we have to speculate. Uh, whereas, like, Gem and Scott, like, their, like, bonding episode, like, that happens out in the open and it's an amazing episode. And I think that really, I liked Gem overall, but that episode really solidified him as just, like, very strong character. And especially, like, their addition to the season was so necessary and made it really... Oh, yeah, it needed it. ...really good in terms of... after I the wanted, I wanted arc, the Go-Onger bus you know? to be a longer segment. Yeah. We needed the Go-Onger bus the for, go like... The Go-Onger bus is A-tier. Another five <laughs> episodes. That uh, bus is an A-tier ranger. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'd be willing to boost up Gem from, like, a high B to an A... He's just above, like, Dylan and Andros, yeah? And it's really, it all relies on that episode of, of Gem and Scott that's just so good. Yeah, Gemma, 
has one really good like in-person fight scene, but she does the same fighting style or they use the exact same footage for her in the fighting. And it made some of the fighting sequences feel repetitive. And not only that, but the fighting sequences around the time that was giving her like a lot of show sucked. <laughs> like it was a lot of jerky cam. Yeah. I will say this though. Her voice acting for the fight scenes. Amazing. She would yes. like let out these crazy ass whoops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like totally I... like some of that was very fun. I don't know. And I just liked also a lot of the scenes with uh, those two characters together really helped to like, even if it was like a side scene a lot, like it would be very funny a lot and just like interesting and quirky in a way that was like, I don't know. It, it definitely appealed to me as the viewer. I can give her a, a mid A. I would say Gem low A, Gemma mid A. I would say Gemma, if she had had one more really solid episode, would be like a contender. S contender. Yeah. 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 Uh, Scott. I think Scott's an S. I think he's mid A. I, I, I thought Scott was actually a pretty remarkable Red Ranger. I thought that he had like a lot of internal conflict that was interesting, but also like he was pretty good about not letting that bleed into his duties too much. But when it did, that was interesting. And, like, I think there was just a lot there that really, like, worked. I was, like, on the fence about this at first, but especially, like, the more that, like, I thought about how many of my favorite scenes and episodes involve Scott, I feel like he's low S. I don't really have that much affection for him. I think uh, his character relies too heavily on being a military kid and, like, trying to get a, a medal for doing good. When doing good is its own reward. And I don't think that that's quite a lesson that he learns. So I'm going to put him in mid A. See, Especially about the metal. It's just all about his dad, though. Yeah, but like, dog, like you save the world every day, man. Cry me a fucking river. Especially when Flynn's character's right there, you know? But that's, I think that's the thing, though, is that like Flynn got to have that. Like his dad, like when Flynn, like, Became a Power Ranger, his dad just, like, fully embraced it and was like, you're, like, the hero and pride and joy that, like, I never even imagined I would have. But see, Flynn didn't find out until way later for that stuff. Flynn was doing good to no, do good. No, that's not true. Well, I mean, no, no, even when he drives the bus, it's, it's when he starts driving the buses that his dad originally congratulates him on being a hero. So Flynn's had that confidence for over a year now of like fixing that relationship with his dad and feeling like really good about himself. That's a, I, I think that's tough to compare to Scott like never getting that. I don't know. I feel a little conflicted on that because he's still the Red Ranger at the end of the day. So there's some recognition in that. If it was like a he got Blue Ranger. But Dr. K decided that. And that's actually even addressed a little bit. Okay. Like, Dr. K was like, yeah, Scott, you're that, you're a natural, incredible leader. And Scott's like, okay, so other people see it. Why not my dad? I think there's a lot of moments with Scott where I just don't agree with his decision making. And then the way he feels about certain subjects, I just don't agree with as well. Ideologically speaking, he is, I think he's pretty authoritarian left. 
at least in the show. I don't know. Not how, in real life. <laughs> yeah, not in real life. But in the show, he definitely appeals as like a sort of authoritarian left figure. However, a lot of it still centers around him and his military experience with his father and his brother. And so much so that he's very one-dimensional in that way. He does it really good. Don't get me wrong. He plays the military kid vying for recognition trope well, and it's it's executed well in the show. I don't think it goes beyond that. I think if there was another if there was another character trait that I could describe Scott as other than being like a military boy, I would, but I don't. Uh, he does make good decisions that I agree with in terms of like always needing to save people and always needing to make sh- guarantee like people's safety without being too reckless, right? Um, unless the time calls for it. I think you're overlooking one important factor though. What is that? That sick ass Mitsubishi. Yeah, the the Mitsubishi whip does rule. Um, <laughs> that that I think adds to his personality for me, but. I, I don't think that that's something to give him S tier over. But I like it. I will say I like the Mitsubishi Eclipse. It's my favorite car. I think this one's going to be an easy one, though, right? Like, Flynn is one of the greatest Rangers of all time. He's in S tier. <laughs> He's definitely up there. He is above Jen Rivers. I don't think he's above Cam. He's probably like, right around Cam's level, but maybe slightly below. Yeah, he Cam's needs a little like, bit more of a big dick baller. i was also thinking like eric maybe like eric myers potential like eric cam levels but uh which is really high because that's like top five rangers uh that would be at that moment um or somewhere around there i guess we can we can do rankings after this by the way what's your call it um we'll have to at some point i think that flint's character needed two more episodes to be potentially like top five top three rangers but with the like two to four episodes worth of like focus footage on him, top tier shit. Love it. Yep. Amazing. I think he I think he's just above Eric Myers and just below Cam for me. That's crazy. Eric Myers is like primo shit. <laughs> I know, right? I love I actually <laughs> like Quantum Ranger is heavy underrated. IMO. He's um, cool, but he doesn't get quite enough meaningful screen time after a certain point, which, like, even though he's incredibly pog, like, Quantum Ranger could have been, like, the number one Ranger of all time if he had gotten, like, a teeny tiny bit more meaningful character development in certain areas. I know I mentioned Dr. K as a Ranger. Where do you think she would be if she was on this uh, tier list? I don't know. Dr. K is such a moral quandary because the moment yeah, you like I, posit real world like, hey, there needs to be justice done type shit, she doesn't hold up as like a believable character. I don't think I can rank her. I don't think I could do it. I think it's too weird. She would probably be like a B if I had to put her on the ranking. I was kind of thinking that, but like, I feel like I would be saying that in part just because of the weird politics of how her character was written, as opposed to like if I was actually just to judge how I felt about the performance and the scenes and stuff like that, I would want to rate her higher. But then that feels cursed to do. So like, that's why I'm just not. I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> All right, season review. You want me to go first? I thought about it a lot. No, I'm gonna do it. I thought about it a lot. This is a ten. Oh no! I know you don't agree, 
but you're wrong. This is um, another and, Ninja uh, Storm situation, dear God. There's there's no way. I've thought about like the flaws that we've overlooked for like other like best seasons. There's no way that anything in this season is more offensive to me than anything that we've been willing to forgive. Uh in previous seasons, that's simply not the case. Uh and also, like, there's so many big risks here. They don't all pay off. But with that many big gambles, you really have to question whether the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And in this case, it totally is. I've never had a season of Power Rangers that everybody in my household wanted to watch as much as this one. Everybody was just like pogging. I was pogging. Like, there's so much cool shit in this season. Um, and like, everybody that we've shown it to has had an amazing like blew their expectations out of the water time with it. And I think that there's so many reasons why it holds up well um, beyond just like facets of the writing. Yeah, a lot of the writing is really good, but also a lot of the cinematography is really good outside of like jerky cam fight scenes towards the end. Um, a lot of the music choices are incredible. And uh, there's just a lot to really appreciate here. And it's so bold and risk-taking. Um, and also, at the end of it all, it's great that this is a season of the Power Rangers. I really feel that strongly at the end of it. At the beginning, like I mentioned before, I was unsure. Should this even be the Power Rangers? But by the end, I felt strongly, no, this is an excellent season of the Power Rangers. Is it great for youngest children? Maybe not. <laughs> um, but it is is a culmination of a lot of the ideas that make the Power Rangers work best. And it's a great season. I think it's as good as any of my other favorite seasons, for sure. And, or better, and it's definitely a 10 for me. I know you're going to give it like a 7 or something stupid because you're contrarian as fuck about it for some reason. I've been pretty consistent with how <laughs> I feel about endings and how they play up the end because i was like that with ninja storm 2 so you can't fault me with that because i told you when we were going over ninja storm i was like i love the season don't get me wrong but like that ending though is like a three out of ten <laughs> and like kind of really fumbled the bag for like a lot of because you got to think about it creatively right so like a season is made it sets up a bunch of spinning plates right and they're juggling these spinning plates and they have to by the end of their performance need to be able to stop all the spinning plates without anything dropping right theoretically for that perfect 10. if there's Holy. one or two plates if there's one or two plates you know that fall you can overlook it for some like talented like oh i fucking spin the play over you, my head but i have to point out that in the early seasons you said i was too critical of the show not having proper finales and now listen to you yes because <laughs> zach goes on a silly date <laughs> and he gets to wear the fucking dragon shield armor Oh, isn't that so freaking cool? Like that <laughs> after school special shit, like that's fucking Power Rangers. When they all go at the end of the episode and give each other a group high five in the air, freeze frame, you go, you know fucking what? That's Power Rangers, right? right? Now this yep. season, 
I'm not saying that I don't appreciate it as a Power Rangers season that exists, okay? I appreciate it as a Power Rangers season that exists. I'm very happy that we get to talk about it on this show. And I will say that I like it a lot. I like a lot of the anti-capitalist themes that we especially saw during the Ranger-specific episodes and a bit later. I love that shit. Best that was awesome. we've ever seen in the Flynn episode. Unflinching. Great, great, fantastic stuff. This show, for this show to be a 10, they would have had to have kept that original showrunner. It is so apparent that when they switched it to the second showrunner, the quality dipped in the writing to where it's like you had 20, 21, and 22, which I said was a triple hat of just absolute bangers. After that, the show doesn't reach those heights ever again. It really does not. And there's a couple of episodes in the teens that are also uh, very well done. Um, I think you said Ghosts was one of them. I can agree to that. Uh, there was a couple of really well done episodes in the teens. But there's also just like Three's a Crowd. Three's a Crowd is just like, bro, did I really have to watch this episode for like nil character development to actually matter? All for the Zords to combine at the end? It got me like second guessing the filler guide for a bit for a minute. Uh, there was another episode that was like that later on. That episode is filler. I think we should put that in the guide. <laughs> <laughs> you get moments like this where you have the extended plots of the Dylan and Tanaya plot line that ramps up in the middle to like sputter and just stay in the exact same place of stress for one reason or another until he goes oh, key in my locket ah it's the key to my heart this tune which is my sister tanaya oh again for something that was revealed in the earliest of episodes on two different instances yeah, that yeah, we picked we up on about it move yeah. on <laughs> that's and then for him to be in a polycule with Summer and his sister, and there's more sexual tension. Dude, and more... your favorite season has a cartoon snake tattoo take up like seven episodes. <laughs> oh, lights me! Yeah, out and move I was on. like, was that was that was that a uh... <laughs> was that last season? That <laughs> oh, was light speed. <laughs> yeah, it was light speed. Titanium Ranger was pretty bomb with the intro. Uh, yeah, but he was like a dorky character that was not actually good. But his ranger, his ranger stuff was pog as shit, and that's <laughs> what made him into the character that he was. Seven episodes of a cartoon snake, dog. Give us your rating and let's move on, because you're gonna regret your rating when we get into the Neo Saban season. I'm not gonna regret my rating. I'm giving it <laughs> a nine out of ten. All right. You know, I wasn't gonna. I wasn't ever. I want to clarify this. I wasn't ever going to give it an 8 or a 7 or a 6 <laughs> or some stupid shit. Yeah, it was it never. It was always going to be never a, six a or 9 or above. And uh, I was really hoping for that ending to be the absolute killer shit of all time. Like, I really, really wanted it to happen. I Trust agree. me. Because I didn't want to be on here having to fucking preamble for five minutes before a rating, okay? But I knew I was going to catch some shit for being a supposed contrarian. But yes, there is quite a bit of stumbles. 
The big stumble is the Dylan sister relationship. And I talk about that a lot because it is a huge, like almost every episode's B plot or C plot is Dylan and his sister. I just don't think it's as bad as a cartoon snake though. <laughs> there was more episodes centered around Dylan and his sister than that cartoon snake on the, on the back of Titanium Rangers on his back. <laughs> I think though, I will say this as my final defense of my rating is that we had like actual filler cut out of Lightspeed. We've watched every actual episode of this. The only episode that we cut was literally a behind the scenes episode. And that's why it's not included in the filler guide. Um, whether you watch it or not when you're watching it, it's just up to you. Um, but it doesn't contribute to the story, obviously. So I think, like, if we actually made a filler guide that took out a couple of episodes, because I think you could actually take a couple of episodes out of RPM, I think it would be easier to give it the perfect 10, even for you. Because a couple of those episodes in the middle that you're talking about, we could just potentially lose. But we watched them all. Whereas, Except like, and action, but that doesn't count. That's like right. a behind the scenes yeah. episode. So I think like compared to others, even like Ninja Storm, which is my, my other favorite season, we didn't watch every episode of Ninja Storm and it's clear that a few of them sucked. That's like one of the biggest reasons why I'm ultimately giving this one the benefit of the doubt is because we watched everything. And that does mean something to me. You're, I know you're saying that. My only rebuttal to that is like it, this ultimately hinges on not only the Dylan sister shit, which you can say, oh, you can forgive that, but Dr. K as a character and how you feel towards that character. Yeah. Because oh, that, 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 <laughs> second, that second bad episode that we were talking about, uh, not Handshake, but the other one where we really were like, okay, well, if you really want to dig into Dr. K's crimes, let's, fu let's fucking dig in then. And the show's like, oh, actually, we're just going to give that a full pardon and uh, see you later. We don't ever have to address this plot point ever again. They really should have put Dr. K on the run for the rest of the season. They flinched. That's the problem. They flinched. They, they didn't they flinch totally on, on any that. other critique, even when it was a critique against the CIA. They didn't flinch about that either, but they flinched here, and it was a, a hard fucking flinch. But yeah, so... Forgive me, forgive me for giving it a nine instead of a ten. <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna disagree. I don't think I'm gonna regret that score. I, I am well aware that we're gonna get in into some Saban seasons that are gonna be ones and twos. Um, but I think it'll definitely make whatever tier maker we do about it very, very interesting. I think so. I think we should also at some point though, when this is like when we're way past a lot of this stuff, we should take like our top five seasons and rewatch a bunch of it and see how it really holds up against each other. Yeah, that would be amazing. I'm excited. Like honestly, I keep looking at. I keep like going like ah, I know Mystic Force is a six, but damn son, wasn't there some fucking shit in there that was just like primo? <laughs> yeah, Christina asked me about that actually. She was like. Wait, y'all gave Mystic Force a six? I thought that was good. I watched some of it. And I was like, did you watch the final, like, 14 episodes? Because <laughs> 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 the last third of that season, I mean, that Dylan and his sister, as bad as it was, none of that compares to, like, fucking Red Ranger's mom touching his face in every scene. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> My main issue was fucking... The rules. You gotta respect the rules. The rules. 
some fairly odd parents shit. <laughs> Thankfully, it was forgiven with the Red Rangers ending. Uh, <laughs> before, we, before we close this episode out completely, we just want to tell y'all that, um, you know, so Power Rangers itself had a break after RPM, and it wasn't made for a couple of years. Uh, and then Saban bought it back, and we get Power Rangers Super Samurai? Right? Samurai. And oh, then just Super Samurai. Samurai. Right. Just Samurai. For Power Rangers Samurai. So because there's a break in the creation of the show, we thought we would take a sort of break, not from making this show, but from watching Power Rangers specifically and watch some other Sentai and Toku stuff. Uh, and we're going to watch a handful of other things. And some of it will be like full season that we'll do kind of like we do a season of Power Rangers. Some of it will just be like one-off episodes about quirky movies or TV shows that we just watched a little bit of. We're just going to dive into some different stuff because what would you have done during the years when Power Rangers wasn't on? You would have watched other stuff. And that's what we're going to do for a little bit. And then we'll come back to Power Rangers Samurai. Um, and we're going to watch a lot of really interesting, fun, weird, just stuff that's all over the map. Competitors to the Power Rangers, made by unexpected networks. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, very bizarre common Rider stuff. Some tokus that just will blow your mind. <laughs> yeah, we're going to watch uh, some interesting yeah. stuff. I'm happy you know at the beginning of all of this i was like it'd be really cool if i had like an encyclopedic knowledge of power rangers and we finally made it to like the end of power rangers for now and that's crazy i didn't think i would watch all of these seasons to be honest i didn't know if i had that sort of willpower in me but we pulled it through i'm looking forward to not only the neo saban stuff but i i'm also like you know, we still have 10 more seasons of Power Rangers uh, <laughs> to do uh, a little bit more than that, like a dozen, I think now. But I think outside of that, the stuff that we are going to break for, there is going to be certain breaks that do happen at certain points, uh, but they're all going to be related in some way, shape or form. I'm real excited to explore just non Power Rangers tokusatsu stuff, I think just in general. And uh, yeah, be ready for some for some interesting content coming out your way. Yeah, we may even get further outside the box than you've ever imagined at some point. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, till next time, Rangers. We'll see you in the next Sentai Truther Club. Rangers, thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to rate our podcast five stars on iTunes and Stitcher. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them. And as always, you can find Kennedy and I on Twitter. I am at Gravcast, and Kennedy is at Kennedy T. Cooper. Stay safe, Rangers, and may the power protect you. <laughs>